Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Gracious Father, we bless you for the privilege to gather in the name of Jesus with your people, to worship you, to magnify you. So we pray, Lord, that as your word is proclaimed this day, your Holy Spirit would attend. We would hear and receive those good things which you desire to give us. That our lives would be transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ our Lord. We pray it all in His name. Amen. It is so good for Nancy and I to be with you. The last time I visited a couple years ago, you all were in the school. So it's amazing to come here and to see uh, this new place and to hear the stories of all the that God is doing in the midst of you as a people at Redeemer and through you uh, in the wider community. Uh, your bishops, uh, Bishop Steve Breedlove and Big Lawrence are dear, dear friends, as is your rector. Uh, we are so thankful for Alan and AK and for their leadership, not only here, but as you know and so generously uh, share them with the, the Anglican world. Uh, we're thankful for Drew, for your clergy, uh, for all of your staff, for each and every one of you in the ways that, that God is using you and equipping you, not, not as consumers, but as ministers uh, out in the communities and in your homes and beyond the walls of this place. So it's a pleasure to, to come here, to, to be able to bring greetings to you from your sisters and brothers throughout the Anglican Church in North America. And to remind us by bringing those greetings, because sometimes the local church needs to be reminded that we're part of something bigger, that, that there is a body of Christ that we're attached to. And when you see a bishop, you're kind of reminded of that. When you hear these greetings, you're reminded of that. There's no question that the local church is the front line of ministry. That you guys are God's plan for Greensboro. That He's using you to reach this community and the neighborhoods and the places that, that you all live and work and the spheres of influence that, that God has placed you in. It. But it's also important to remember that, that beyond this place, our brothers and sisters who stand with you, who pray for you, who are cheering you on in the mission that God has uniquely given you. So as Alan said today, uh, as part of our worship, because the main thing is the worship of the living God, but as part of the worship, we will be confirming and receiving uh, several folks in God. Uh, who knows? Who knows? As many as show up. 36. See, Drew knew the answer. And these folks will be confirmed and received into this branch, this Anglican branch of Christ Church. We're not all of the church, we're part of the church, and more specifically into this local congregation where those being confirmed will live out their call and their lives in Christ. 
stepped into that journey that has brought you to this day. So you all have, I understand, been in a series. It's a series that makes a lot of sense. It's Easter season, and your Easter series is centered around passages of Scripture that kind of reveal different dimensions and angles uh, around the resurrection of <laughs> Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus. Michael Green says that was the day that death died. The earliest Christians had a very simple creed. It was easier for the catechists to memorize that creed. It was he is risen. Because it was the resurrection of Jesus Christ that gave birth to the church. Without the resurrection, let's be clear, there would be no church. We wouldn't be here today. There would be no hope. The resurrection changed everything. And if there's not a resurrection, we might as well eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we die. The game's over. But there is a resurrection. And it's the center of who we are. It's the center of what we proclaim. And the disciples' lives who witnessed that resurrection and generations after that, lives have been transformed because of the reality of Christ's victory over death. In the resurrection, the church was born. In the resurrection, Jesus claims to be God's Son, to be the way, the truth, and the life were vindicated. They were vindicated by the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit, the triune God on rescue mission coming to save us. In the resurrection, the, the tragedy of the cross became instead for us the source of forgiveness, the source of hope, and the source of life for those who put their trust in Him. So today we're going to look at this Colossians 3 passage that you heard read. And the most incredible thing, uh, as I read it, and I hope as we read it together, and if you have your Bibles, you can open it up to Colossians 3. The most incredible thing is, is that the resurrection is not only something that happened to Jesus. It's not only something historical, it is this, that happened in time some 2,000 years ago. But when we listen to Paul in this passage, what we hear is the resurrection is something that happens to us. That by the, the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of God Almighty, this glorious gospel that, that we've been entrusted with, that we proclaim, that our lives are somehow wrapped up in this resurrection of Jesus. Not a historical study. It's not something that we believe is distant. It's actually something that becomes a reality in our own lives. Frederick Buechner has a classic little book uh, entitled Telling the Truth, the Gospel as Comedy, Tragedy, and Fairy Tale. And in that book, he kind of plays out the ways that these different literary genres speak to us powerfully of, of gospel themes in our lives. And one fairy tale that was popularized in a movie that, that at least I remember, I think this was back in the 1900s, um, I, I was afraid when Alan said we've got this 
right today, so we had to bring in an ancient bishop. Uh, or, well, this movie, which you might remember, the fairy tale we certainly know is Peter Pan. The movie that popularized it was Hook. You remember that with Robin Williams. I'm sure you guys can find it on Netflix or somewhere if you haven't seen it. But, but the storyline of this movie is about this venture capitalist, a guy named Peter Panning, who uh, had to journey back to, to Neverland in order to rescue the children from Captain Hook, who was trying to destroy them. And the problem in, in the story as it unfolds in the movie was Peter had forgotten who he was. See, he had been once this kind of carefree, high-flying, boyish Peter Pan. But somehow he had grown up and he had become a hard, driven businessman. He was distant from his children. He was constantly at odds with his own mind. He had lost his imagination and was afraid of heights of all things. But as the movie plays out, he returns to Neverland and it was the community of the lost boys who first recognized Peter and helped him to remember who he was and reunited his, his imagination and his ability to fly. And in three days time, he was back to his old self. He found his real self, and he was able to rescue the boys from the grip of the dark power of hope. And he regained not only the children, but his own life. Well, can you hear the gospel in that fairy tale? Can you hear the gospel in that story? Because for us, dear friends, so much of the struggle of the Christian life is at the very point that we forget who we are. We forget what God has said we are and who we are. And today at this, this uh, confirmation service, we're reminded that it's through the, the waters of baptism that we discover who we are. It's in the waters of baptism and through those waters that we're anointed with oil, and we hear these words, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. And what we're confirming today is that reality. That we belong to Christ. That we're His own forever. That we're sons and daughters adopted into the family. And what's critical in this is our union with Christ. That we are united by faith with Jesus in his life and death and resurrection. That that's what, what baptism is a picture of. We're buried with him in that water and we're raised to new life. We share in the resurrection of Christ. So the Apostle Paul in this, in this letter to the Colossians kind of, kind of lays it out. Speaking to, to a group of Christians, just to set the context and, and go back a couple of chapters. It's a group of Christians who had forgotten who they were, who were at risk, and who had lost the force of this gospel that's ours, that, that they had already 
this amnesia to forgetting who we are and forgetting and believing what God has said about us in Christ. And in every generation, since the time of Christ till now, we seem to be in this cosmic struggle and battle where the world entices us, the world, the flesh, the devil, kind of collude together to, to keep us from the reality of who we are in Jesus. So we battle against the marketplace of ideas out there or or the endeavor to accumulate stuff, or the pursuit of pleasure, or, or the pursuit of even really good things that, that can allow themselves to take the place of God. And what Paul's message to the Colossians is saying is, is that that's something more that, that our souls are longing for, is actually found in the Christ whom you first received. Paul takes them back. He takes them back to this reality. And so as he lays it out, he, he prays that the Colossians, he prays that us by extension would be filled with the Holy Spirit, that we be filled with the knowledge of Him who created all things, who has no beginning and no end, the One who is our Redeemer, the One who has rescued us on the cross, the One who is the firstborn of the dead, the one who Paul says in this letter is the head of the church, the one who is the very image of the invisible God, who reigns and rules over all the world. So stop looking anywhere else. Paul gives us Jesus, and he raises it up to this at-risk people, to these folks who are suffering from amnesia, and say, remember Jesus. Remember his fullness. Remember his authority. Remember who he is and find out who you are. And so Paul gets to a point in the second chapter where he speaks of the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is what? Paul says this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, amazingly for Paul, it's not something new that he wants to add to his gospel. It's the gospel they first heard. It's this Jesus who amazingly makes us new creatures, who breathes new life into us as we're united with Him in this union with Jesus, this union in His death and in His resurrection. And so today we look at this third chapter, and we see how Paul is to say we're to live our lives. But more to the point how it is I would say that Christ is to live his life in us. Listen to these opening verses. Paul says, if then you've been raised with Christ, think, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. But what Paul's saying is revolutionary. What, what Paul's doing is he's, he's drawing a conclusion. He's saying because we have this new identity in Christ, because, as Paul says, our lives are hidden with Christ in God, he says we need to reset 
reset the way we think. We need to reset our hearts and our minds around this reality. Just as Panny needed to venture back uh, to Neverland to rediscover who he was, so the Apostle Paul says we need to set our minds on our true home and to remember who we really are in him. We need to remember and remind one another and, and it's a, the community to, to help Peter in the movie understand it. But we need to hear from one another and remind one another who we are in Christ. To encourage one another when the amnesia sets in or the doubt sets in and cheer one another on. To remind ourselves that we belong to another place. That this is not our own. And for Paul, remembering this incredible reality causes us to, to recalibrate and set our hearts and minds, our hopes, our, our greatest aspirations on, on what Paul calls the things above. He's saying if, in fact, we're in Christ and He is seated at the right hand of the Father, what's the implication for us? We're at the right hand. That the reality, the ultimate last word of our lives isn't found here, it's found there. It's found at the right hand of God. Dear friends, we're seated with Christ. You know where you're seated? If you're in Christ, if you've trusted your life to Him, you're seated at the right hand of all power of the Lord. You're in that place of holiness. Your life is hidden with Him who is enthroned. You're at that place of inter intercession, that place of power at the very right hand of God Almighty. And if that doesn't shift and change something in us, what will? Paul says our lives are hid in Christ. And it's on those things that Paul says we should set our hearts and minds. You see, Paul is saying the way that, that he, the Lord Jesus, lives in and Thank you. 
of God's word. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and now we put on a different wardrobe, and that is our new self in Christ, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Paul says, when this is the case, when we're putting off the old, because that's not who we really are, then we step into this community where there's no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. What really matters in the people of God is Christ himself and our myths. And if we put off the old guard, we need to put something on. And so he continues in verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if you have a complaint against one another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So must you forgive one another. Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You see, this is who we are in Christ. We're His holy, chosen beloved. And if that's the case, then we wear the clothes of a holy, chosen, and beloved. We put on our own garments. We put on the person that Christ says we are in heaven. Your brothers and sisters, who are you? How would you describe yourself to another person, to a stranger? Who are you in Christ? What difference does that make in your life? Where are you headed? What, what is our home? What really matters at the end of the day? Isn't it Jesus? Isn't that why we're here? Our lives are hid in Christ and God. voices that try to tell us who we are. 